The Lord be with you. When will we see Jesus again? A core belief of the Christian tradition is that Jesus will someday come again in power and glory and establish the kingdom of heaven forever here on earth. And so the question becomes, when will this be and what should we do to prepare for it? And Jesus tells us today a parable to answer that question. And the parable goes like this. There's a wedding happening and there's ten bridesmaids and they all go outside the house to wait for the groom to arrive And five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. The foolish don't bring any extra oil with them. The five wise do. But the groom is late, and so they all fall asleep. And then at midnight, someone shouts, Look, there is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And they all wake up, and they all scramble to get their lamps ready because it's dark. And the foolish realize they don't have enough oil to light their lamps, and so they ask the wise for some oil, and the wise say, No, there's not enough for you and for us. They send the foolish away to go buy some for themselves. And by the time the foolish get back, the bridegroom has gone inside. And and the foolish say, hey, Lord, open to us. And the Lord says, no, I I don't know you. And, And that's the end of the parable. And so I suppose from this, what we're supposed to take away is probably do what the wise people do, right? That seems like the obvious choice of who you're supposed to follow in the story, the wise people. And so from that, we should conclude that we should store up for ourselves extra oil. Maybe that oil is like faith. Maybe it's like good works or righteousness. Um, And and then presumably from that, when we hear that Jesus is coming, uh, well, people might ask us for some. And we should say, no, we can't share it with you. Uh, You can't have any of mine because there's not enough for me and for you. Which seems maybe a little odd since, you know, there's actually a whole Jewish holiday about there not being enough oil in a lamp to last even one day. And somehow it ends up lasting eight days. It's a minor Jewish holiday. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Hanukkah. Yeah. And, And, you know, Jesus, he actually preached a sermon about oil that was supposed to not be enough, but it kept being enough. It was a sermon about Elijah and a widow of Zarephath. And Elijah meets this widow and says, hey, can you share with me some food? And the widow says, look, I've only got enough food left for me and my son to have one last meal before we starve to death. I'm not going to waste it on you, Rando. And And Elijah says, well, maybe just try sharing it and see what happens. And so the widow takes the little bit of oil and she uses it to cook a little bit of flour. And somehow that little bit of oil, it's enough not just to feed that one last meal. It becomes abundant to continue feeding people. But maybe those things are just coincidences, that those are stories about oil that doesn't run out. And this is a story about oil that apparently the wise people think they shouldn't share because it'll probably run out. Because after all, it must be the wise people that we're supposed to listen to in this parable. After all, they're the ones who get to go in with the groom when he arrives. And that groom must be Jesus, right? Because just like Jesus, he shows up late, at least later than we want him to. And just like Jesus, when people knock on the door, he does not open it unto them. Wait a minute. I feel like we just sang a song about how when you knock, the door shall be opened unto you. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. 
You know that phrase, knock and the door shall be opened unto you, it comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Words Jesus says. But, wait a minute. If these bridesmaids aren't who we're supposed to follow to find Jesus, if, if the groom doesn't seem like Jesus himself, where in the world are we supposed to find Jesus in this story? Well, maybe it has something to do with what Jesus says at the end, which is, stay awake, therefore. Did you all catch who fell asleep? It's probably just the foolish ones, right? The wise ones stayed awake the whole time? No, they all fell asleep. Man, what in the world is going on with this parable? Well, I always say to folks, when Scripture doesn't make sense, the best thing to do is read more of it. Yeah? Read before and read after. You know, this parable, it starts with the word then. Then the kingdom of heaven will be made like this. Which tells us that maybe Jesus is telling this parable in response to something, yeah? So let's go back to chapter 24 of Matthew. And in chapter 24, what we discover is that Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And his disciples ask him, Jesus, when are you going to come back? What will be the signs so that we know you're returning? And Jesus' first response to them is to say, Beware that no one leads you astray. When it comes to Jesus' second coming, that's the first thing he wants us to know, that we might be led astray. Yeah, And then he tells us, look, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there'll be earthquakes and famines. He tells us that's not the end, though. That's just the beginning. And he says it'll be hard. Oh, yeah, but he says what we should be aware of is false messiahs claiming to be him who try to lead us astray and who will try to get us to betray each other. And then after warning us about false messiahs, he says in Matthew 24, verse 23, that quote that we have up there, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. I don't know if you remember a phrase from the parable we just heard in Matthew 25, where the bridesmaids are asleep, and then at midnight someone literally says, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And what do we all do? We believe it. Yeah? But then Jesus will even say in Matthew 24, verse 25, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Jesus tells us this beforehand, and then he tells us a parable in which not only do people say, look, there is the bridegroom. They say, come out to meet him, and then... When people don't get to meet him in time, they say, oh, he's in the inner rooms. You've missed him. And what do we do? We believe it. If we can't remember Jesus' words for one chapter, why are we surprised that we can't remember Jesus' words for 2,000 years? I graduated from seminary on May 21st, 2011. It's a date that's very easy for me to remember because the whole year leading up to it, there were billboards all over the country put up by Family Christian Radio. You see, the president of Family Christian Radio said that he read the Bible so carefully that he predicted the exact day and hour that Jesus was going to return was May 21st, 2011, at 6 p.m. He said, 
6 p.m. local time. As, as the sun went around the world, those time zones would change and people would get raptured, yeah? May 21st, 2011, the only thing that showed up was my diploma. <laughs> Apparently this guy read the scriptures so closely looking for when Jesus was coming back, he forgot the point where Jesus said, you know neither the day nor the hour, yeah? It would almost be funny if our conviction that we could predict when Jesus was coming back didn't have such profound consequences, not just for the world, but for our faith. You see, after Jesus warns us to beware of these false messiahs, Jesus tells us to keep awake because we don't know when he's coming back. And then Jesus finishes up Matthew 24 by telling us about a wise slave. But unlike the wise bridesmaids, Jesus says this slave is not just wise, he's also faithful. And what the wise and faithful slave does is he gives to the other slaves their portion of food at the allotted time. Unlike the so-called wise bridesmaids who say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not sharing what I've got with you, that's your problem. And then in Matthew 24, Jesus says, you know, there is a wicked slave who says to himself, the master is delayed. And so that wicked slave makes himself the master and uses what belongs to those other slaves for his own selfish enjoyment. And then immediately after that, Jesus tells us the parable of the bridesmaids, that then, then the kingdom of heaven will be made like this, is directly following Jesus warning us about those two different kind of slaves, one who shares when the master is delayed, and the wicked one who keeps it all for himself. And I think here our translator does us a disservice, right? Our translation says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. But Jesus, throughout Matthew, gives us parable after parable of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I've listed a bunch of them from Matthew 13 up here, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like yeast. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a merchant in search of fine pearls. It's like a mustard seed. It's like a net thrown into the sea. I repeated mustard seed there twice. I was copying and pasting. Every single time, though, the Greek word is like, the Greek phrase is homoia esteem. What's relevant about that is it's present tense. It's now and it's active. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and it's doing it on its own terms. But when Jesus tells us the parable of the bridesmaids, he uses a different phrase, a phrase that he only uses for this parable, and it's on our next slide. The Greek word he uses there is homoiothesitai. So two things about this. One, it's future tense. This is what it's going to be like in the future. But also, it's passive. This is not what the kingdom of heaven chooses to be like. This is how the kingdom of heaven will be made to be like. It will be made to be like this by false messiahs. It will be made to be like this by people who forget Jesus' words. It will be made to be like this by us. When we get so desperate for a savior that we are willing to say, okay, so-and-so claims to be our savior, let's put everything in on that person. And if that person requires us to 
to hoard what we have or to give it just to them, so be it. If that Savior requires us to turn and betray each other, well, so be it. If that Savior requires us to lose sight of who Jesus says he is, let it be so. This is a parable about what we do to disfigure the kingdom of God that Jesus gives us now when we go off in search of false messiahs. And we look at it and we say, well, then where is Jesus in the midst of all this? Where is Jesus in our world? And when we can't find Jesus, either in Scripture or our world, Jesus gives us a method to find him. Because, you see, Jesus' conversation with his disciples about his second coming doesn't end with the parable of the bridesmaids. It continues through the end of Matthew 25 until its dramatic conclusion at the end of Matthew 25 when Jesus says, on Judgment Day, he will say to the people who are seated at his right hand who are blessed to enter into his Father's kingdom, he will say to them, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was a prisoner, you visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. We might well add to that list. When I ran out of oil, you shared some with me. This is what it means to stay awake. To stay awake to the place where Jesus tells us we can always find him. Not coming in the clouds in glory. Yes, someday. But Jesus tells us now we can always find him in our neighbor in need. As Lutherans, we call this the theology of the cross. And we contrast it to theology of glory. See, theology of glory says, well, we know Jesus is going to come someday in power and in glory. And so if, if we want to get to be where Jesus is, well, we better get ourselves to those places of power and glory also. And we know that Jesus is going to be hailed as king by all nations on that day, so we better get ourselves hailed as, as powerful and popular by all nations now. But the theology of the cross says, yeah, someday Jesus will come in power and in glory and every knee will bend, but now God has chosen to reveal God's self to us in Jesus on the cross. In that place of weakness, and humility, in that place of rejection and suffering. And it is a promise that when we ourselves are weak, when we ourselves are suffering, when we are rejected, we don't have to get somewhere to find Jesus. Jesus has come down to be with us where we are. And if we can't find Jesus, we just need to look around to the people who are hurting, who are suffering. And if that person is us, we can just look in the mirror. That is the theology of the cross. And when we read the parable of the bridesmaids with that theology, suddenly we realize the groom is obviously a false messiah. The so-called wise are maybe wise to this world, but they are foolish to Christ that Jesus can be found in this parable and the people begging for help and the people considered foolish 
by our society. The wise bridesmaids, they're so focused on getting to greet Jesus in future glory that they fail to meet Jesus in humility, present before them right now. And friends, we do it too. And I don't just mean Christian radio stations who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on billboards that undermine biblical credibility instead of using that money to minister to people in Christ's name. I mean all the ways in which we spend our time and energy and resources on false messiahs, whatever they may be. In 2020, for that 2020 presidential election, collectively as a society, we spent $14.4 billion just on the campaigning for president. Just on the hope that if we pick the right guy, well, maybe all our problems as a country will be solved. Imagine if instead we had taken that money, if we had taken that time, if we had taken that energy, and we had invested it into caring for our neighbors, for looking for Christ and people in need. Maybe we could have a Veterans Day that didn't have thousands of our veterans living on the streets. Because in each one of them, we would see Jesus. The conflict in the Holy Land that's happening right now is one of the most complex issues of our time. And as people around the world are trying their hardest to find some sort of peace, to find safety and security for both Israelis and Palestinians, much of their efforts are being stymied by Christians in the United States who are convinced that they can make Jesus come back if only the state of Israel has the exact borders that they have decided from the Bible. Because of that, we are betraying the people of both Israel and Palestine. Our desire to bring Jesus back as we want him to come is killing Jesus as he is living now in each and every person in the Holy Land. But we do this too as individuals. Every time we think, what's going to bring me happiness, what's going to solve all of my problems, is some big break in the future. And I'm just going to ignore all the other people in my life. I'm going to ignore helping others and loving others and just focus on this one thing, whether it's a job or a fitness routine or a move. When we make false messiahs for ourselves, we miss out on our Savior who is right beside us ready to be found when we do as Jesus instructed us, to love God through loving our neighbor. And this isn't to say we shouldn't give up hope in Jesus' second coming. We shouldn't give up hope that our Savior will come and set this world right. I hope every day to God that Jesus comes. But here's the good news. When Jesus comes, you won't miss him. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, after he says, don't believe all these people who tell you you have to be at a certain time and a certain place to find the Messiah. Don't believe them. Because, he says, the coming of the Son of Man will be like lightning that flashes from the east as far as to the west. You're not going to miss it. And then Jesus goes on to say, when I come, when the Son of Man comes, He will come upon the clouds of heaven and the eyes of every nation will see him. You're not going to miss it. 
And then he goes on to say, and then the Son of Man will, with the sound of a loud trumpet, send out his angels to gather people from all four corners of the earth, from one end of heaven to the other. You're not going to miss it. First Thessalonians tells us the same thing that Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, except First Thessalonians adds to it, look, it's not just if you think you're running out of oil, you won't miss it. It's just not if you're going to run to get an errand, you're not going to miss it. But even if you're dead in the ground, you're not going to miss it. For at that trumpet call, Jesus will send his angels. They will swing low like a sweet chariot. Wherever you are, in the grocery store, in the field, in the grave, they will raise you up and you will be with the Lord forever. Paul says, encourage each other with these words. Jesus will someday come in glory to set everything right. We won't miss it, friends. May we put our energy now on not missing the fact that Jesus is already here among our neighbors. Amen.